This enormous battleship, built with the world's latest technology, withstood extreme weather and enemy fire throughout the height of battle in World War II. She has remained unmoving in her Wilmington port for over six decades, but the stillness of her hull hides shadow figures, disembodied voices, and a man with hair like fire who all allegedly haunt this ship. And we decided to spend the night there. This week's episode is our paranormal investigation aboard the battleship North Carolina. Fills with dread, probably a murderer who wants you dead. It could be a ghost, a demon, or worse. Perhaps you're the victim of a witch's curse. It's hopeless, you're doomed. You'd call a priest if you could. You'd rather just listen to who? Sinisterhood. I'm gonna kill you. Well, 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 did we have quite a time aboard the USS North Carolina? This was, this is a bucket list. We've been saying we wanted to do an overnight uh, investigation, an overnight paranormal experience, and our buddies at the Ghost Guild hooked it up when we met them back when we covered the Mordecai Mansion at the, uh, <laughs> the famous Raleigh Live show where you almost didn't make it out alive. Oh, yeah. Um, gosh, my opinions on... Pulling in versus backing in into a parking spot. Yeah. I almost had to be escorted out by police <laughs> because it was tense. It Not was as tense, tense, though, as the rivalry between NC State and University of North Carolina that we discovered. There were there were groups from both sides and things playfully were heated but what a show that's still probably our wildest show we've ever had and it was so much fun raucous and then the audio got lost which were like of course the one oh, night i forgot that about like, that i think it yeah. was like my mic recorded and yours didn't so there's yes. a version of it but you can't really it's not listenable but it was quite a fun night and our buddies from the ghost guild nelson Nows, kelly mcconkey uh, they are the ones that took us. Nelson's the one that took us on site to the Mordecai house and kind of said at the meet and greet afterwards, Hey, what you really got to do is an overnight on the battleship. And we said, you say the date and we'll be there. And we got an email and we bought a ticket. Almost a year later. Yeah. We got an email saying, Hey, we're going to be doing this. And we said, we will be there. Unfortunately, Tommy could not go, but me, you and Paris went, Paris filmed it. We've got some great footage. He is editing it as we speak. We are going to put it on YouTube, and it's quite, yeah, there's some stuff that happens. And we'll let you all decide if it's paranormal or a fluke or what, but you can be the judge. Be the judge. And that's why we liked doing this. If we're going to go do a paranormal investigation, you can't just let us loosen it by ourselves because, A, I'm too scared. I can't. I would just stay in the <laughs> snack area with the lights on. But also, we, it's why I really like about the Ghost Killed. It's a professional organization who love history and science and the unexplained. It's like all of our favorite things, even though we don't. I don't understand the science part there in the middle. And the history we're catching <laughs> up on. But we that's the cool part about going on it and not just saying Zach Bagan style, kicking the doors and being like, come on out, ghosts. Where yeah. are you, ghosts hiding? You think you're a sailor? I'm going to fight you. Versus <laughs> respecting and understanding like this is a meaningful place that saw some, uh, some carnage. Yeah. And not only just a meaningful place, but a place that should be respected. I mean, this was a... A storied battleship, the most decorated in World War II, that that fought that 
men lost their lives on in fighting for our country and, you know, our freedom in the war. So under no circumstances was I about to bow up to anybody or act like an asshole because like, this is kind of holy ground, you know? I mean, we always want to be respectful, but especially in a place where something um, serious and traumatic for many has taken place. No, definitely. I texted my mom because my grandfather was in World War II and I was like, was Papa ever on a battleship? And she said, no, he pushed a piano for Mickey Rooney. He was in the USO. So he technically (laughs) served, but he didn't really shoot anything. He was, all the photos I have of him are, uh, that I went and found in my mom's cedar chest are more, wacky antics like there's a picture of them showering there's a picture of him double fisting some beers there's a picture of him with mickey rooney this is uh, my experience if i were to join the military also did he shoot anything he shot the shit with mickey rooney ton of the shit with mickey rooney and and bobby breen who i guess was like a child star that was also there but my uncle who just recently passed away rp uncle jerry that we've talked about before he was in the military it just so happened he quit serving right before they drafted folks for vietnam or, or you were chosen to go to vietnam and right before he passed we were talking about his service and i go well did you were you like sad were you scared to go to vietnam he said Hell no, I didn't want to go anywhere. I didn't want anybody shooting at me, and I didn't want to shoot at anybody. It's <laughs> like, mm-hmm. that's our whole family is a, yeah, I'll serve, but I really don't want to. <laughs> How do I get out of it? But they, the fact that uh, these guys went and the footage from, the, from just the ship itself, how it moved, 15 knots isn't super fast, but when you're a ship, 728-foot-long ship or something, however long this thing is, that's fast. Yeah, and the quarters in which they slept and just generally had to move about hallways and whatnot, it is not the Ritz by any means. I mean, it is small, everything is metal, steep staircases, no railings. I mean, it is just to get around the ship is difficult. But then you have the added element of, oh, we're also at war it's wild to me that that people were able to live live there and it's wild to me that people would voluntarily do that and for that I say thank you because I certainly do not want to be the one to do that. And I think in a lot of them didn't voluntarily do it and did get drafted too. So yeah. even so the 80 people in one tiny room with beds stacked, you know, five high and all that it is a uh, wild conditions but this was it the was, top truly. of the line, top of the line battleship at the time, and uh, it's now a beautiful uh, testament, a tribute to its service, and has gained this spooky reputation around it. Hmm. Well, I'm Christy. I'm Heather, and let's get into it. Built in 1937 at the New York Navy Yard, the USS North Carolina was not only the first battleship of its kind to join the American fleet during World War II but was also the first new ship to join the fleet in almost 20 years. After a year of preparations, the battleship made her way to the Pacific in June of 1942. From then until 1945, she was part of every major operation in the Pacific theater. Upon returning to the U.S. in October of 1945, she posted up in the Atlantic until being deactivated the following year. Yeah, I watched this cool, uh, it's called World of Warships, little YouTube video on this. I don't know if it's from the History Channel or what it was from, but they did a lot of digital recreations and showing all the parts. And the width of it 
is purposefully to get through the Panama Canal, which I didn't think about mm-hmm. that. You have to be cognizant. But they were testing it because the hole is so big and so long and it you know needs a lot of power to move that. It's like a hundred and God, I think it's 121,000 horsepower. It's super strong. But they practice in New York in the harbor. So there is yeah. real footage of this baby just sailing kind of by the Statue of Liberty. And it's an interesting juxtaposition. They said people would just go out and wave at it and look at it. It was nicknamed the showboat because they had to do so many kind of tests to work out the the kinks and whatnot that, yeah, it was kind of just put on display for a bit until they figured that all out. By the end of the war, the USS North Carolina had sailed close to 300,000 miles and earned 15 battle stars, making it the most decorated battleship that served in WW2. Years after she was decommissioned in June of 1942, Passionate citizens, many of whom were schoolchildren from North Carolina, raised $350,000 to purchase the ship from the U.S. Navy to stop it from being demolished for scrap metal. The battleship was then transferred to Wilmington, North Carolina in 1961 to act as a memorial and museum. Known for its charming riverfront and historical significance, New Hanover County greatly benefits from the millions of dollars in tourism the ship generates. And I love that it was a neighborhood, you know, drive. Everybody's taking up money, even from little kids giving their milk money. And oh, so sweet. So, so much sweet. nickels and dimes given from their little <laughs> piggy banks to save this. It's just their little piggy bank money. And the I believe it was from the North Carolina History Museum, where it actually may have been uh, Miss Wallace, who was the program director on the ship, said they would have older adults come on board and say, I remember being a little girl in the 1950s like or the 1960s, like raising money for this. This is part my ship. And it gave Aww. this sort of ownership over it. I want to preserve it and remember what it was used for and, uh, you know, the people who lost their lives there. Yeah. And for also people that served there to go back and, I mean, that's, I imagine, a very powerful experience to go back and remember, oh, this is where I was standing when this happened and this is where I, I slept and just all the memories that come flooding back. Wilmington, adorable. We had such a good time. Oh, we stayed it. in the cutest little Airbnb right on the water. It was on the actual water. I think it was a houseboat, technically. Yeah. It, there, it's a kind of rows of houseboats that look the same. They're all like very modern and cute. But it was, and we had a great balcony with a great view of the water and everything. There was a little festival going on right there. Everyone was so nice. It was, if you want to take like a historical vacation, it would be a great place to go visit. Yeah, they had great shopping, great food. And the cool thing, we're on the water. If you walked all the way to the end of our pier and looked, you could see the battleship. It's sort of docked oh, near yeah. there in the Cape Fear River. So it's a, it's a good city, and it's a good centerpiece of the city of what, what do we do? Well, we got a big-ass haunted ship. <laughs> I'll go. Not to mention Cape Fear, which That's we right. certainly had a lot of fun with the <laughs> fact that we were on Cape Fear. Yeah, and the movie references to Cape Fear. And Wilmington's like the Hollywood of the – East Coast, I guess, is what they were saying with as many movies as have been filmed there. Yeah. Just from the um, the bridge that's by the ship, Nelson was telling us there's a famous scene from Maximum Overdrive that was filmed there, which we had recently discussed because we did. Stephen King <laughs> notoriously thinks it was terrible and has uh, since apologized to Emilio Estevez <laughs> for making him do the role. Oh, no. But I'm sure that Emilio Estevez is fine with it. He survived. He's he he's a duck. He's mm. fine. Flying yes. formation. He'll be fine. 
The ship's first engagement and subsequently its first death occurred during the Battle of Eastern Solomons on August 24, 1942. The battle was brief, lasting less than 10 minutes, but significantly altered the crew's mindset on the war. Rear Admiral Julian T. Burke recalled how it changed the crew. The maturity of our seamen and our officers after that, the change in maturity and attitude and the way we approached problems was entirely different. We had grown up in seven minutes. Although short-lived, the ship saw her first casualty of war, George E. Conlin. Fellow seaman Mark Marco wrote in his diary about the impact of his combatant's death. Time is now 1740. I'm now looking at a wounded man to see if I know him. Boy, that hole is through his life jacket and through him and out his life jacket. It's horrible. Now giving him morphine. They've rigged up a bottle of blood plasma and are giving him a transfusion. The man is very white from the lack of blood. Puts the fear of God into a man to see things like this. Good looking boy, just married to a beautiful gal just before we left Fresno. Stand by for another air attack at 1555. False alarm. The man has now died. That evening, at 11.30 p.m., George Conlin was buried at sea. And that was a wicked attack as far as just fire raining down from the Japanese command was flying over and just encircled the air. The airplanes have encircled both the USS Enterprise, which was now this aircraft carrier going, and then the North Carolina beside it. And it was only seven minutes, but they said it was nothing less than seven minutes in hell. And that they believe the USS North Carolina shot down seven to 14 airplanes in that seven minute span. So bad that the other ship thought that the North Carolina was on fire. They were radioing, are you on fire? Because it was just so much smoke. I don't think I could even come close to understanding what that feels like. And I think reading the, um, these sea stories and it's from the battleship website and we'll link it in the show notes are fascinating to give you this insight into real time, how these men were feeling. And it was actually, they weren't allowed to keep diaries on the ship. They, they weren't supposed to, but a lot of them hid them and then they were later found. And luckily now we have that as a preservation of history, but I think I've read in many, many of these, it's that first battle, the first brush with, oh, fuck, this Mm -hmm. is why we're really here. And like they said, in seven minutes, everything they knew changed and every, the way they approached everything changed in such a short amount of time. Well, especially like you said, being like experiencing does make a huge difference because they'd been around. I think the ship had took sail, set sail, you know, September and it sailed through the Caribbean down around. So you're on the boat, maybe nine, 10 months, almost a year before seeing any violence like that. And for it to be a sudden onset and that severe and that much swarming is like you said, it'll change a man. Mm-hmm. September 15th, 1942 was the deadliest day for the crew of the USS North Carolina. Just before 3 p.m., the ship was hit by a Japanese torpedo on her port side. Seaman George Strott described the attack in his logbook. It felt as though a giant had put his hand against the port side and shoved us with all his might through the water. As the mighty ship took the blow, the men aboard scrambled to their battle stations. Lieutenant Edward Gallagher recalled his experience to historians. 
I was knocked ass over tea kettle over and through a gun blister, but was able to make it to my battle station. The torpedo punctured some fuel tanks and started a fire, which got into the lower handling room of turret two. The fuel was actually burning on the floor of the projectile room. The sprinklers were activated and the turret crew came streaming out of the hatch with the smoke in swift pursuit. The word was passed, stand by to abandon ship, because if turret two went, the whole ship would explode like a Chinese firecracker right down the middle where all the five-inch magazines were. It so happened that we were one life jacket short for some reason, so I didn't have one. My phone talker, assessing the situation, said, here, Mr. Gallagher, take my life jacket. I'm a good swimmer. Fortunately, the situation improved, so abandoning the ship wasn't necessary, but I'll always remember that young sailor and his thoughtfulness. What an act of selflessness to give up your life jacket when, I mean, you couldn't be in a more stressful situation. You're like, the shit's about to hit the fan. We're all going over. I'll just swim. You're in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. And that is, uh, I'm very glad it didn't come to that. But again, to hear like how it was actually, you know, this guy felt with it actually going on is just when you get these little glimpses into history and it's not just speculation or, you know, what we think happened and it's writings from them experiencing it at the time, it hits different. And even like the language that they use so many of them, it's written very poetically. I mean, it's, it's also interesting just like how language has evolved since then and just slang and how we talk. So I always like when we get the opportunity to look back and get these snapshots of history and how it really was back then. Yeah, there's nothing like a firsthand account of something mm-hmm. that's going on because you can't, it can't be, you know, molded, shaped, manipulated by anybody sending any kind of message, you know, said, oh, well, it wasn't that bad or it was t- totally bad. The diary says so. It was a nightmare. And they said, it's nothing less than hell. And I think we get, we do get carried away kind of saying, oh, it's a beautiful ship and a lot of respect. But when you get into the history of it, it's, that's true, but it's also a lot of carnage and death mm-hmm. and pain. And that's what war is, is violence and death and pain. And to hear them, even in that, in the face of that, you find the kindness among the fellow people, you know, to say, yeah. you know what, Lieutenant, you take my, I'm a good swimmer, buddy, you take this. To, yeah. in, amidst li- being in literal hell, raining fire down upon you to find that kindness, that's what humanity is. Yeah. And you have that bond that, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, you are the only other person that knows what it's like to be going through this. It's a trauma bond. And to still find kindness in those moments. It's like Mr. Rogers' mom always said, look for the helpers. That's right. Sinisterhood will be right back. The long-range torpedo had hit just forward of the thick armor belt specifically designed to help the vessel withstand such an attack. The seawater rushed in through the 32-foot by 18-foot hole in the side of the ship. It began to list. Crew members jumped into action purposely flooding areas on the starboard side in an attempt to even out the weight and restore balance. During the attack, Albert S. Geary was blown off the deck. The sailor was lost at sea, his body never recovered. Also killed during the explosive impact was William Skelton, Oscar Stone, and Ingwald Nelson. Many more lives would have been lost that day, if not for the heroic efforts made by one man in particular, Leonard Pone, a gunner's mate. Pone sacrificed himself to the rising waters and burning oil in order to seal the watertight doors, preventing the water and fire from spreading to other areas of the ship. There's no other word for that but hero because 
you, it's, it's certain death. We were down in that area, yeah. and there it is. The walls of this thing are yeah, hundreds of millimeters thick. It's a we don't have to tell you that it's a thick ass boat, but there's no there's just no getting out. And you know if you don't close that door, it's all going down. But if you do close the door, you're going down, mm -hmm. and that is a decision to make. It is. And being down there was very powerful. I mean, we were sitting right by where the torpedo hit. There's a plaque honoring those that lost their lives. And then we were, you know, using some different mechanisms to try and perhaps communicate. They obviously this area is underwater where the torpedo struck. So you just a 32 foot by 18 foot hole. I mean, water's just gushing in. Mm -hmm. I mean, I the the terror one must feel. And then in the face of that, to say, you know what? I'm sacrificing myself to save hundreds of my fellow seamen is, like you said, hero is the only word for it. Well, it's because the boat goes down like nine and a half meters, like displacement wise. So that's how much is already underwater. So yeah, a hit down low like that, it's you're already underwater. It's going. Yeah, yeah. While fighting kamikazes on April 5th, 1945, three men aboard the battleship were killed by friendly fire. Another sailor lost his life that same day during a seaplane accident. By the end of the war, 10 crew members of the USS North Carolina had been killed, while 67 more had been wounded. Danielle Wallace, the ship's program manager for over a decade, told WRAL News in 2022, our reputation probably got out with being haunted because of Danny Bradshaw. He was our night watchman here on board the ship for over 30 years, and he wrote a book, Ghosts on the Battleship North Carolina. Bradshaw's book covers his time on board the ship. A staunch believer that the ship was inhabited by sailors from the past, Danny started on board in 1976. A buddy left the job to become a pilot after a five-year stint, spending nights on the massive vessel. The friend told Danny, who was hired as his replacement, that while it was a pretty sweet gig, it came with a small price. Danny explained to the Greensboro News and Record that his pal told him, Don't laugh in my face. There are going to be things that happen here that there's no explanation for. That would make me want to take the job more. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're like, I'm listening. <laughs> what? Danny's initial belief that he could sleep through any possible ghostly happenings waned just after he started working there. He would encounter doors and hatches opening and closing by themselves, lights and televisions turning on and off on their own, disembodied footsteps, and objects moving by themselves. It's an active but not always a fun atmosphere, with Danny telling the news and report, I want you to understand this place is haunted. I get scared. I get horrified. I, I like that we did not know this prior yes. to our trip because I also would have been way more scared and horrified if I had known what Danny Bradshaw had to say. Yeah, he if you spend six nights a week sleeping on the ship every week from 1976 up through, you know, 35, however many, 40 years, that's a lot of late nights for you to run into something. <laughs> By yourself, too. Yeah. I mean, even if you're like... Ah, you know, I don't really, I'm a skeptic. I don't really believe in that stuff. Being on a giant battleship at night and mm -hmm. it's obviously in water and surrounded yes. by like marsh and stuff. And you can just stand on the, 
the deck and look out. I mean, and it's it's a beautiful view, but you're pretty alone. You're pretty yeah. isolated. So, I mean, even the bravest skeptic, I feel like you'd get creeped out and things are going to start. What was that? Did I hear something? Like, you know, mm-hmm. you see shadows, but then things start happening. You're like, this isn't just my mind playing tricks on me. There's something else going on here. Yeah, both that big too. It's like something probably made the noise. Was it a ghost? Is it just creaking because it's a million years old? We don't know, but there's noises. And according to Danny Bradshaw, maybe come up and touch you. Is it Bobby D? Oh, well, that's gonna. That's the other thing. If you're out in the marsh, if you're going to go out on the deck of this bad boy alone at 2, 3 o'clock in the morning like we did, you got to keep your eyes peeled for Bobby D. <laughs> the fiercest gator of the battleship swamp. <laughs> His name, I believe, is not Bobby D. No, He's to clarify. Charlie? To clarify, there's a 13-foot alligator named Charlie that lives in the water right next to it. But I walked off and was taking pictures, and I come back, and you and Paris were just laughing, going, Bobby D! Bobby D! <laughs> I was like, what are you talking about? We renamed him Bobby D because of Cape Fear. It's right on the Robert. river of Cape Fear. So I we're like, we're going to call him Bobby D. We did not see Robert him. De Niro. But many of the um, people that work on the ship were like, oh, yeah, he's out there all the time. It's just like the real Robert De Niro. We've never yeah. seen him in person, but everyone says he's great. He's out there. He's out there all the time. <laughs> and he'll bite you, too. <laughs> the 10 crewmen who lost their lives aboard the ship were young when they died. And Danny believes that may hold the key to their sticking around. In one interview, he said, If there are any tortured souls on board who might believe they died too young, it's probably these guys. The very first night he saw an unexplained form on board, Danny was making his usual rounds turning on power boxes that light the ship overnight. As he neared the mess hall, Danny felt a rush of cold air and a hand on his shoulder. When he looked behind him through the darkness to see who had touched him, he saw nothing. All he heard was receding footsteps. Well, I don't like that. No, don't touch me. <laughs> Unless it's me and you clinging to one another in the dark. I don't want anybody to reach out <laughs> and grab me. And I know it's not Paris grabbing me because he's holding the camera. So right? it's all, that's it. And the footsteps just walking away. I mean, you're like, it's echoing. something was here. Do you go after it? I, that's When we were sitting silently in one of the rooms talking to the the specters, the ghosts, uh, hearing even just other people that I knew were also in the ship, the faint of like feet, it still made me kind of like, it's probably the other investigators, Mm -hmm. right? But I would not follow it because it's walking away. And to me, if it wanted to talk, it could have stayed face to face. True. True. (laughs) Danny told the crew from Ghost Hunters that he turned back around, shining his flashlight into the mess hall and a nearby open hatch his flashlight beam caught the face of a blonde sailor whose skin was pale white and translucent, allowing the flashlight's beams to pass through him. The apparition's hair was like a white flame atop his head. Danny couldn't speak. He told the ghost hunter's crew, I let out a scream. It scared me so bad. When I screamed, he turned his head towards me and he had a look on his face like, don't do that. And he started to turn his head back away from me. And he just disappeared. In recalling the encounter for the news and record, Danny described it as the horriblest thing I've ever experienced. That'll do it. You know, I mean, I've had some jobs where I didn't love the policies or, you know, the hours, but I've never had a job where I 
shown a flashlight and a specter was looking at me like, I wouldn't do that if I were you. That's especially what I don't like is the mm -mm -mm head nod. But I did envision him as the heat miser with hair aflame on top of his head, <laughs> like from that cartoon or whatever, the stop motion animation. But the, all of it together. I don't want to be alone down there. The mess hall is down where there aren't windows, there aren't portholes. So it is so enrapturingly dark down there. And to think about the flashlight beam of our, you know, we were shining flashlight beams. I want it to hit things that it doesn't go through. Like I'm here for that. Like yeah. a table or a door. But even that, even, even that, because I did have an encounter with something that I could not see through mm -hmm. and it scared the ever living bejesus out of me. It is on our video. So go to YouTube <laughs> to watch it. But also, Maybe the ghost was saying, instead of being like, don't do that, maybe he was going, don't do that. I'm just vibing. Please stop screaming in my face. <laughs> That's right. I bet if you scream, if you didn't scream and just waved, maybe the ghost would have waved back and would have been like, <laughs> can you not yell? It's echoey as fuck down here. And it's like three o'clock in the morning. Please stop screaming. <laughs> the most wild part of this to me is that Danny continued to work there. He's scared shitless, seeing stuff all the time, hearing things, but he's like, this is my job. I'm not going to quit. <laughs> he has like, more I, resolution than I do, for sure. In 1976, I told my buddy I'd take over for him, and I'm not in the business of quitting. And you're like, I'm not letting him down. Hell of a guy. Sinisterhood will be right back. Danny tried to escape, heading in the opposite direction from where he came. When he tried climbing a different ladder to make it back to a higher deck, he could hear banging and heavy footsteps above his head. Terrified, he believed the spirit had trapped him below deck. Danny told the news and record he ran to another ladder while praying. Please, God, let me out. I don't want to die here. Thankfully, Danny did not die that evening and served for many more years as the only living person on board the ship after dark most nights. Two main spirits made themselves known to Danny, according to ghosts and legends of Carolina Coast. One specter is a bit of a prankster who would mess with Danny by turning lights on and off, moving objects and slamming doors. The other ghost would torment Danny, leading him to believe the entity was pure evil. Anytime the evil spirit visited him, the room would turn ice cold. Approaching from behind him, Danny would hear footsteps and, most frightening of all, the sound of a disembodied scream. He said, all of a sudden, you start getting an eerie feeling like something bad's going to happen. But the answer was not to run. Instead, Danny learned to stand his ground for several moments until the apparition would vanish. Oh, that is some unflappability on parallel with a person we know to say, <laughs> have a, you hear the tick, 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 and it runs fast at you and is like, ah! it screams right at you. And you just go, all right, I'm going to stare this one down. <laughs> And the ghost is like, that I'm is trying everything. I'm trying. It's going to be like the ghost on when uh, on Alec Baldwin and Gina Davis just put the sheets on themselves. <laughs> like, we're scary. And it's like, nah, I'm not scared. No, I'm not doing it. Yeah. If if not Danny Bradshaw, second person I would nominate for this job is my husband. Because yeah. I feel like he'd just be like, yeah, I'll go down to the mess hall. What time is it? 3 a.m.? Sure. Yeah, I'll go down. I don't even need a flashlight. It's fine. I'll just I'll just feel my way around. <laughs> Can we... <laughs> We have to reminisce when we found out Tommy wasn't going to be going with the three of us sitting on the porch. Oh. We were afraid he wasn't going to be able to. And then as we were out there going, 
I was like, please. And you're like, please, we can't do this. We're like, the ghosts are going to get us and we're scared. And he's like, um, well, I can make you feel better. There's no ghosts on the boat. <laughs> it was like, okay, well, thanks. All right. Well, we'll go into it with that attitude and we'll feel better. Well, Danny freaking got screamed at in his face. So yeah. Tell that Whew. to Danny. Tell Doof. that to Danny. There's no ghosts on the ship. Although, if you did want to fight off a ghost, just completely denying they exist is like, mm, kind of Dwight Schrute shunning. Like, yeah, shun, I'm not hearing you. And the ghost is like, all right, I give up. You ghost the ghost. That's oh, you fight fire with fire. You fight ghost right. with ghost. You've always got to ghost the ghost. That's what you've got to do. Danny is not the only one who has seen spirits aboard the decorated warship. Paranormal investigators make their way through the ship regularly. The television series Ghost Hunters, featuring the crew of TAPS, or the Atlantic Paranormal Society, investigated the ship in an episode of 2005 after leaving Raleigh's Mordecai house early due to food poisoning. We discussed this in our live show. (laughs) (laughs) I think on the recorded episode, too. It's such a good, they're like, okay, we have all the equipment. Oh, wait, you guys, my stomach hurts. And you feel bad because it's like a two-hour drive to the battleship. So they called it at the Mordecai house and... turn their attention here but we uh we didn't get poisoned they weren't willing to desecrate the bathroom aboard this decorated warship which we were also told especially with women there tends to be some activity in there so every time heather and i would go to the bathroom we would take our phones and record (laughs) so there's just all sorts of audio of just us peeing (laughs) just in case there may have been some uh whispered sounds or uh, s- some people had reported like feeling like their hair tugged or something mm, in there but pat, pat on the tush a little yeah i didn't feel any of that but i was giving him out all night but i didn't get any <laughs> i was this close to getting thrown out of the investigation <laughs> boasting more equipment than any paranormal group can dream of taps arrived from their home state of rhode island and were met on the ship by danny bradshaw himself Danny showed off his room, in which he slept six nights per week. Not mincing words, the watchman told investigators. There's a ghost on here. I've seen him three times. The first time, a friend of mine was coming over to see me. I was walking down the ramp when I saw her driving in, and she said the porthole curtain in my room pulled back and a head come up and was looking out, and she thought it was me. And all of a sudden, porthole curtain jerked back real quick. Danny's friends started shouting as they both saw the head retreat and pull the curtain closed. Since he had just been in his room and locked the door behind him, Danny knew what they had seen was not a living person. Danny saw a ghost while he was in his room once as well. The TV turned on by itself, and Danny felt an eerie presence near him. He told Taps that when he looked, a full-body apparition was standing beside his television. He made out features and details, saying... It was the ghost. He had like a blank look on his face and you could see right through him. The one thing that stood out more than anything was his hair. It wasn't like normal hair. It was like a white flame. It lasted about five seconds and then boom, that was it. That was all. So it sounds like the one from the mess hall with the white hair. Mm-hmm. Keep seeing him around and you're just laying on your side, just curling up, getting ready to go to sleep, watching the Wheel of Fortune or whatever. <laughs> you look over and blank look on your face. And I wonder if some of these instances it, where the spirits are sort of staring or like, what are you doing? Since he was a male, like it wouldn't be completely shocking out of the blue if a ship full of 2,300 men, there was another man on it. So they're just like, oh, who are you? 
and they don't pinch the bottom of Danny Bradshaw. He hasn't, he didn't, in anything I read, he didn't say they came up and pinched him or anything. It was just more of one, one-to-one contact. Mm-hmm. Female visitors have a different type of ghostly experience. Programs manager Danielle Wallace told the NC History Museum during a panel. What we tend to hear a lot about is that people will get touched, like their hair will be pulled, and sometimes ladies will get a little pat on their behind. What I tend to say is, well, they're sailors, so what can we expect? <laughs> we, I believe, did sign a disclaimer yeah. when we uh, went on board. But, you know, just to somebody that's, because it's open all day for tourists and stuff, you're just walking around learning about the ship. You get a little pinch. There's no one there. More than what you bargained for. You got to go to the front and complain. And they're like, well, that's just our ghost. Or you don't go complain. You just yeah, stand you there and you're like, you, every day they're like, uh, Miss Wallace, we've seen you back here every day for the past year. Yeah, I I have a specific spot of the area I really like to go to. I'm just going to go back and visit that one spot of the ship. She I'll just, be there from 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. But they're like, that's the woman that just goes in downward dog position in front of the bathroom, <laughs> playing uh, face down, ass up on her iPhone out loud. It's weird. <laughs> Hadn't worked yet, but she comes back every day. Every day. She doesn't even live here. She's <laughs> taking up residence. She's doing a long-term rental in one of those houseboats. She, she just comes over every day. She does the same thing on her balcony of the house, houseboat facing the boat, too, just in case you can see from one <laughs> deck to the other. We're getting a lot of complaints. <laughs> well, they had to cancel the festival because children. Riverfest over. Gone. Yeah, we're we're thinking about um she might not be allowed to come back to North Carolina after the end of this. We have to call the parks department to ban her from all major possible haunted places because <laughs> this is not gonna be the only one. Danny's experiences and those cataloged by Daniel Wallace all track with the current crew who we spoke with while investigating. Three employees we talked with had experienced unexplained happenings. One of them heard a disembodied voice answering, Good morning. After he had called out the greeting three times. Another saw the shadowy silhouettes of people walking through a crack in one of the stateroom windows. When he looked outside the door, no one was there. That was eerie because uh, the gentleman that heard good morning said, he's like, yeah, I was by myself flipping on lights, just going, good morning, do do do, good morning. And then to just get, Good morning. Back. You're like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> it was really polite. I love talking to those men. They were clearly very passionate about what they do and um, feel a deep sense of pride. And to hear them telling these stories, which I imagine they enjoyed telling, mm -hmm. you know, a group of newcomers, but the looks on their faces, never once was it like, a wink and a nod or I mean, they were very stoic, like, yeah, hundred percent. This is what happened. And these are veterans, you know, I mean, they're not, it's one of whom still stays on the ship, monitoring it in the captain's quarters, knowing all of this, you know, and just they, they're brave. They're braver than I. <laughs> well, it's, you're right. It was interesting to talk to them and their attitude around it was very, yeah, this happened. It's And not saying, oh, it absolutely was a ghost. It was just like, I can't explain these things. And mm -hmm. the one who saw the footsteps, he kind of showed us, at least pointed out the room where it happened. And it would be like you had a curtain drawn, you know, over your window and you see bodies moving past you. You're like, who the hell is on this ship? 
And, but yeah, that's, you're right. I didn't get the whole, oh, I'm going to make up a fake story to make all these outsiders interested. It was just very matter of fact, like, I'll tell you what I've seen. Mm -hmm. A third employee explained how one spirit sneaks up on unsuspecting workers in the gift shop stockroom and whispers, it's George. This leads some to believe it is the spirit of George Conlon, the first fatality on the ship who was killed in combat in the Solomon Islands. One of the employees explained, I know they're here and they know we're here. Before explaining that nothing was there to hurt us. With that reassurance, we set out for our very first official overnight paranormal investigation. Oh, yeah, we got ready. Oh, she also said in the gift shop, the same one that was telling us about it's George in the stock room was saying that ornaments were flung across the room. Mm-hmm. Off Full of on like the, 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 you know, metal like rod that in retail has you stick in the slats on the, the wall to hang stuff on. That Those would come off. And if you've worked, you got to like, you know, maneuver Up them in down. there. They would just come off and fly across the room. And yeah, the the end of it kind of bends upward to keep the stuff from just sliding and falling off. And she's like, some of the ornaments made it off of the rod and out, which would require an upward. You know, it's not just gravity mm-hmm. that they all slid off. So she's like, yeah, that's what really, that, that was what was really scary. I was like, yeah, I agree. That is very scary. But she loved this ship so oh, much. Yeah. She was the nicest woman. She said several times, the ship is my life. I love it here. I spend, And that was really the feeling of everyone that worked there is they take so much pride in this and the history of it and being able to share that history with younger generations. She helped us pick out our hats that yes. we wore for our investigation because we thought maybe the sailors will think because we're wearing um, admiral hats that, you know, they can speak to us. We thought it would work. (laughs) (laughs) How how effective? I don't know. But we do have to give her a shout out in the gift shop as well, because we just chose, you know, hats that said Battleship North Carolina. And she, I brought it to check out and she said, you didn't want the one with the scrambled eggs on it. And I was like, as a rule, generally I don't buy shirts or hats with scrambled eggs on them. But she explained that on the bill of the hat, the insignia is representative of what your status is on the ship. So she said, well, this one's a captain. That's just a a regular hat. That one's a captain's hat. This one's the admiral's. And we were both like, what's like the most in charge kind? And she's like, admiral. We're like, (laughs) co-admiral. Okay. We'll be co-admirals. That's probably why no one talked to us. It's because they're like, (laughs) Who are we talking to? They both think they're admirals. They can't both be. Yeah, they can't. they need to pick a lane. We had to explain uh, how we run things. There are it's co admirals. <laughs> <laughs> well, what else? Well, we also learned about. Hold on. We also learned quite a bit during our pre-investigation dinner that we went yes. to, where Nelson and the rest of the crew. There was probably about. 10 or 12 of us kind of explained like how it would happen and everything. It was also very cool to hear because it was a casual dinner and everyone talking about other investigations they've been on and things that had happened and creepy stuff. And just to be like at dinner with a bunch of people that are into the same creepy stuff you're into. I'm like, yeah, I'd love to eat a salad and hamburger and talk about uh, ghosts here. That's like my (laughs) ideal of the perfect evening. Thank you so much. We're all the people that usually find each other at dinner parties to be like, you know, come over in corner and talk about something fucked up. And they're like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Everybody else is like, mm, the economy. Hoo-hoo-hoo. And it's like, let's go talk about this. Uh, but no, it was just a whole table full of us. And again, the passion and explaining 
no, there was basically a, a feeling of no stupid questions because we really didn't yeah. know what we were doing. So we would just ask, you know, and they were more than generous with their answers. And we learned about some of the equipment we were going to be using. And Nelson explained these, this certain type of goggles that are supposed to, I, I we'll get more information on it, but it's to help you break through. And we were like, am I going to do it? Are you going to do it? And you looked at me and goes, you, I think you said to him, whatever I have to do to break through. <laughs> I was willing to go You're all ready. out. And the goggles were one of the coolest experiences of the night because oh, yeah. you put headphones on that was playing kind of um, this relaxing type of sounds and stuff. And then the goggles kind of had this orangey light that would morph and change kind of like if you were closing your eyes and had, um, you know, like a bright light in front of you that was flickering and kind of moving. But the idea is like, it kind of puts you into almost like a trance like state. So you're more susceptible to communication. But when I was doing it, the lights were changing colors and getting brighter. I was like feeling almost like this lift, not like I was lifting off of the table I was laying on, but just like, like my chest was like, kind of like puffing up. Like I was getting like a big breath of air or something. And the, I kept saying like, after the colors were changing and Nelson's like, really, that's, that's not how that usually works. So I don't, <laughs> I don't know what was going on, but it was very cool. It was cool. And especially having all the red lights all around so that we can see, but that we can still, you know, it stays dark and spooky. Uh, so everything just had this kind of eerie glow, but the goggles were, so it was already red and eerie. And then I put the goggles on and laid down and I was uh, open to the experience. I didn't really see or feel anything, but it was definitely eerie to be blindfolded, headphoned, laying on a table in the depths of this old haunted ship. It was made me feel a type of way, as you would say. <laughs> I felt, um, I never felt on the ship scared, well, except for that there was one moment when I did feel very scared, which you'll see in the video. <laughs> I was more, honestly, I was more scared that there was going to be like rodents or something <laughs> down below. That was my fear. Like when we were sitting on the room in the sick bay, sitting on the floor, all posted up, I was like, God, what if a rat scurries across? I'm going to lose my shit and then I'm going to mess up the audio because every time you made a noise, you had to say on the audio, like, Christy's moving, Christy's shoe squeaks. So when they go back and listen to it, they can eliminate things that could otherwise be interpreted as unexplained. So I was trying to be so still and I had to just like sit against the wall. So I had a clear view of everything around me. Heather, just starfished right on the floor. I was, I was like, you're so brave. I can't believe you're doing that. I just laid directly on the floor. <laughs> it was just like almost a, in a Shavasana kind of a yoga position. And I was just like, I'm going to lay here and just be open to whatever sounds or movement or whatever or sights that we want. And in that sick bay right before, I think it was before we had gone in there, another of the teams, cause we were split into alpha Bravo, Charlie and Delta team. We were on alpha team with Nelson, the executive yeah. director we felt VIP, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but the, another of the teams had been in there and had this pinpoint. You got it at Spencer's gifts back in the day. It's a yeah. rectangle, a black plastic rectangle with a clear rectangle over it. And you mash your hand in these dull pins to make, I used to just put it on my face a lot as a kid. My sister had one. I yeah. put my hand through or it. Or your middle finger. Every time. Right. You got to go Every into a Spencer's. You put your middle finger there and then you leave it. And then whoever comes in next is like, yeah, 
I was going to do it, but it's already been done. (laughs) You got me. Well, they had one in there because they bring things that can be either uh, curious for the spirits or that can be moved by the spirits without too much effort because it's already probably enough energy to be crossing over the plains. I imagine you don't have the energy to also then show us that you're here by moving this refrigerator. That's a lot to ask a living person. (laughs) So having those Move the actual ship (laughs) from one end of the bay to the next. They're like, we're like, uh, spirits, we're calling on you. Break this baby loose and we're going to sail it to the ocean. (laughs) Um, Getting Bobby D. Bobby D's at the helm and we're taking it out. Just a crocodile driving the captain. (laughs) With his admiral's hat. He can have one of ours. We've got two. Mm-hmm. Uh, but no, I just, th- that one pin in that room we were in, one of the pins on the whole thing had been moved. Mm-hmm. So, of course, th- you know, they still have to analyze, like, try to recreate it and all that stuff. But that was a room where we were already kind of on edge because something had happened in it. And so uh, I was not thinking about rodents or, not that there were any rodents. I mean, it's open to the public. It's a Never museum. Never did see one. Did not see even one. one water bug. And that was it. Yes, which is fair. It lives. The boat lives in a swamp. But I, I was honestly pleased that it was just the one. I thought I was. That was my biggest concern, not the ghosts. I was more concerned about the creepy crawlies, and there it was very like clean. The whole ship and everything. I mean, it's open to the public for tours, so they keep it really clean and and up to date. Sinisterhood. We'll be right back. Also in that sick bay was when Nelson had told us that at a previous investigation, they had the most activity in there because the beds that the sailors, when they were sick, would lay on, like the spring bed is still there. The mattress, well, there's a couple that have mattresses, but it's just the springs. And if you push on them, they make a lot of noise. And in a previous investigation, they had had quite a bit of activity down there with someone making a lot of noise with the spring. So we were also a little on edge about that going in. Yeah. To know that uh, the energy can move a squeaky bed, but they also tried to debunk that and said, okay, well maybe somebody sat on it and it just got jammed up. And then all, so that's the other thing is we've experienced something unexplained. We can't say necessarily, Oh, a ghost pushed the pin. It is unexplained so far how that pushed uh, how that pin was pushed but i liked how the investigation was so organized and so laid out before we even got there we got a whole itinerary with from each certain hours when we're going to be at different places we got assigned to our teams like i said we're alpha team and then when we got there on the we were in a, kind of a gathering room which i think you can rent out for events that's on the main deck and nelson the and the ghost area is what it was called on the map <laughs> Oh, on the map, yes. And on we, they, map. They laid out just all uh, of their equipment, including the, you'll see a bunch of stuff in our YouTube video as far as technological equipment, as well as these trigger items that I would not have thought to bring that Kelly of the Ghost Guild brought that represented her grandfather in World War II because the idea is, again, enticing them with objects of energy that may get some sort of a response out of it. Mm-hmm. Those were very cool to be able to see and and handle too. Again, just like this preserved piece of history that most don't get the opportunity to like handle and read and flip through and read what was going on back then without it being, you know, like at a library or something like she, she has this and that was certainly very cool. 
our trigger items were our admiral's hats from the gift shop, but <laughs> yeah, we, really like, <laughs> we command you as superior officers and they're the, the spirits are like, boo, <laughs> we know you're fake. You, you suck. So I also had to get new things. shoes to even oh, attend <laughs> because before we went, um, the ghost guild who was so great about communication and answering questions and what we might need to do. And we texted the day of and said, is there anything we should or shouldn't wear? And Kelly said, just be mindful of the shoes you wear, because if they're squeaky, we have to, you know, take in account into that and mark it on the audio every time it squeaks for over a year, we have known my sneakers have been squeaky every time sneaky on tour squeaks. when I'm walking through the airport, I'm like, God, oh, these things are so squeaky. So I was like, I can't wear these. I'm going to mess up the whole investigation. We had to find a Dick's sporting goods ASAP and go buy me a new pair of shoes so I could go on this investigation. And the best part is we get them, you try them on, you, they sounded great in the store. Everything was great. And we're getting all packed at the Airbnb and getting ready to go to the ship because we're going to take a group photo on the bow and then walk around a little bit and get settled. And as we're walking from the dock to the rental car, we just hear squeaking, squeaking, squeaking. And you go, stopped, and then squeaking stopped. And we looked at each other and you're like, no. And then you're like, squeak, squeak, squeak. God damn it. It wasn't as loud as the previous ones, but there was a noticeable sound. There was a squeak. I don't think it was picked up enough to no. cause any problems, but there were many times that I would have to say, Christy moving, Christy shuffling. You don't realize how much you move around until you got to like call it out each time you do it. Right. It's like, Heather, stomach gurgles. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> Oh, but no, that we got to it kind of started out with free roam and that's where we went first down into the mess hall, which is where Danny Bradshaw was screamed at or, or he screamed at the ghost and the ghost told him to cut the shit. <laughs> and we got to do the Estes method. I said Estes, it's Estes, I think TBD. It's a method where you put the headphones on and listen to the channel scanners. And I now realizing and seeing the stories about it, the mess hall was definitely the place for that. It seems like it's the most hopping yeah. place. Yeah, with the most activity and the the goggles and the Estes Estes method were, I think, the coolest part of it. And there's some very cool footage from when I was doing it, had the headphones on and you turn away from the group. The idea is that you cannot hear or see what other people in the group are asking and you are just listening to what is coming through on the headphones and saying any word you hear out loud. So the idea is you're unbiased because you can't hear the questions that are being asked. So if somebody was like, Hey, what color shirt am I wearing? And then Heather just who had the headphones on said blue, we'd all be like, Holy shit. Something just answered. Cause Heather doesn't know what we're even talking about. So mm -hmm. it was very cool to see um, people do that. The first girl that went she had quite a lot of words come through. There was another girl that was in the investigation that the ghost seemed to really be attracted to. And like, they, they had done an investigation before and she's like, do you remember me? And there was kind of some uh, beeps and things going off, but I think we got the most compelling footage when I had the headphones on, which we were lucky enough to get on film. Yeah, definitely. You had him on and you said the, the bench moved. 
Mm-hmm. And then we're filming the bench thinking it's going to move again. And then a device completely, you know, on the other side of the room where none of us are even close to it. The camera, the mics, nothing was close to it. So we're just, Paris was filming the bench waiting for that to move. Meanwhile, we all hear beeps. And so it's like a mad scramble to go, where's that beep coming from? And it was one of the objects that gets set off if there's a change in the electromagnetic field around it. And it beeped. And then Kelly asked, can you do it again? And they did it again. Yeah, a couple times. So and I, like I was oblivious to all of this because I oh, just yeah. have my eyes closed with these headphones on. But watching it back is very cool. Yeah, the same. When I had the headphones on, I was blissfully unaware of how what y'all were saying, what y'all were doing. And I say blissfully uh, with a little tongue in cheek because I was getting ready. I was getting into my trying to be connected with the universe so that the spirits could come through. But I'm also so twitchy and um, get startled easily. So when y'all flashed a light to tell me that it was over, I just was like, Jesus Christ. (laughs) (laughs) Also the beginning, you were doing some very deep breaths that were, that lasted quite a while to the point where Kelly was like, is she okay? It can be kind of intense. And Paris (laughs) and I are like, I think she's just kind of getting into it. But then it kept going on. They're like, do we need to go ask her if she needs to stop? We're like, no, she'll stop in a second. It's fine. And then <laughs> about five minutes later, I flashed the light to be like, okay, we're over, which is what they had told us to do. And uh, that was the most scared you were all night, I believe. <laughs> I was. I was so intent in the static that when the light hit me, I was like, oh, God. <laughs> screaming. Oh, but I was, uh, I mean, I'm a heavy breather in general. But, yeah, I was trying to, I was like, I'm going to get into, like, a meditative kind of state here. Um, but it, to others, it sounded like I was belabored. <laughs> I was like, sounds like, like labored breathing. Hyperventilating to others. She's having a tough time. We need to get her. Uh, but, no, we, we spent just the very first part of the mess hall and then got to run around and in addition to the spooky areas where we went with the lights all turned off just being in the guts of that ship was fascinating to see and and knowing there was one of the rooms that was all they the i think they call it i can't remember the birth the birthing b-e-r-t-h but it's where the the guy slept and in some of those they would have 80 men in one room on these fold down cots that kind of you know fold five high to the ceiling with super thin blankets and Nobody's going, it's not like, okay, everybody, we're going to go to bed at 9.30 and we're all going to wake up at 6. It's just like everybody has different jobs and is doing different things. Like you probably never slept at all. So maybe you were a restless spirit because you (laughs) didn't get any sleep with 10,000, 2,800 other men on board. Yeah, seeing the lit up parts and Nelson was very kind and he knows so much about the ship and kind of was giving us a historical tour in addition to a paranormal investigation and it's just incredible the how small the spaces were that these people worked in. I mean, like manning the artillery that would be used for a cannon in a little tiny thing that's like smaller than a closet. I mean, mm-hmm. you you're, like a your your arms are almost touching the sides of where you're working, and then being in there for hours upon hours during the day. It's, uh, it was not for the faint of heart. No, and it was in the South Pacific where it was very warm weather, and they said it would get up to 90 degrees, even in air-conditioned places on the ship, with 90% humidity. Oh. So, yeah, I imagine you'd, uh, 
if you find your ship that you love so much and you're getting a, a eternal uh, wandering around it, when it's in Wilmington docked, it's a lovely place. You're like, sure. I love this ship. And we're, there's no hurricanes. We're not getting <laughs> shot at. This is the most chill place. I'm going to spend eternity here. So maybe that's why some of the sailors don't want to leave. <laughs> there is a gator, but he's cool. Yeah, he's you just all right. Toss him, you toss him a couple, uh, you know. If you were a ghost, you can make friends with an alligator because it can't bite you. Oh, that's so lucky. <laughs> Would the alligators see it? I bet alligators, I can't prove this, but because of the shape of their eyes, I believe that they can see through the veil. <laughs> I don't know how to <laughs> prove it. Because of the shape of their eyes? Like how they pop up on their skulls? No, just, you know what's going on in there. Their pupils and whatnot. They can see. They can see. <laughs> pupils? Like everybody. Typed in gator eyes. <laughs> God damn, look at that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The way that, because there's like a slit in it. I think that the space around it, it reflects something. Bobby D knows. <laughs> he knows more than he's letting on. Bobby D's seen some stuff up there for sure. And then they toss him a couple, uh, you know, chicken nuggets or something to sustain him. <laughs> Every once in a while. Uh, but no, yeah, we once we got the tour of we, all the spooky stuff and all the lighted stuff, I loved going up into the captain's area where mm-hmm. you would essentially man the wheel and turn the ship. Which is what we pretended to do and got a lot of fun pictures. <laughs> As admirals, and, uh, we had to. Yeah. It would, also, normally they turn off the tour information, the speaker stuff, but for some reason it hadn't been turned off. So in certain areas of the ship, it was just like the guided tour voice but at 2 a.m. when you're walking through something and it's like the USS North Carolina yes. and you're like, God damn, what, what are the most <laughs> decorated battleships? <laughs> yeah. And it, some of them would be motion activated, it felt like. And I was like, it just started talking to me. Mm-hmm. Nelson's like, I don't know. But either uh, it was a slight oversight and someone didn't turn it off or the ghosts were like, there you go. Turn Maybe. Turn that light on. Maybe that was it. Well, sitting amid what one employee called hallowed ground, the battleship North Carolina is docked not far from battle sites of the Revolutionary War and Civil War, a ship that navigated through great violence, now docked in an area that has seen so much bloodshed, seems like the perfect site to attract wayward spirits looking for a home base. Lurking within its endless corridors, the battleship North Carolina may just be harboring some restless souls. At the very least, visitors should stay vigilant, as the only thing scarier than a ghastly sailor is a 13-foot alligator nicknamed Bobby D. Also, global warming, which is a legitimate concern now for the ship because, I mean, it's obviously in a body of water, but at, with global warming and everything, the um, tides are causing it to rise up more than it should and also the parking lot that we parked in will just get flooded and at one point it flooded and then the waters recede and you got ten thousand dead fish oh in the parking lot that you now have to contend with and it's that's honestly like becoming a problem. It's like, how can we, you know, keep this area in a s- safer, not only the boat, but like the wildlife and everything that lives there too. We saw, we saw when the tides went out, how part of the parking lot 
which had been covered in water was now, uh, you know, just a little bit. And so many birds flocked there to just like eat fish and stuff that had been left behind. It's like a buffet. It is a little buffet. And then Bobby D. (laughs) A bird buffet. Yeah. And it's a, that's nature. Everybody's a buffet item for, for somebody. (laughs) (laughs) Well, so what do we think? Well, I am, I won't say I'm sure, but it, Definitely feels like a energy is around the ship, given it might be its height, its size, how tall the turret goes up so tall, you know, right? The center point of it, I think it's something like 11 stories tall. It's the length of two city blocks. And to have as much action as it had and as much pain as it had for as many people in such a small area, I think that could imprint some type of an energy, whether it's a real thing that's an energy or that we all bring it with us, knowing the history and what all went on behind it, that you know, are we scaring ourselves because we know it is a, a big, scary battleship or did it bring some some spirits back? I, I don't think there's uh, anything wrong with what Danny said. It makes sense that young people, you know, a younger guy killed violently, killed suddenly, it, that might make a spirit confused or not wanting to cross over or something like that. But uh, if anybody would know, I think it would be Danny Bradshaw. And the refrain you hear around the ship of like, I don't know, are there any ghosts around here? You got to get Danny Bradshaw's book. Well, I tried. I've ordered it off the internet. It got delayed. I had to order another one. That got delayed. I will get it. it was sold out in the bookstore. They don't have it at the bookstore. (laughs) They're like, get it off of Amazon. I'm like, damn it. I'm trying to get it everywhere. It's a hot (laughs) ticket. But if anybody would know, I would say it was him, you know, 1976 to, you know, the last few years. That is many, many, many years in the dark at night. And, you know, we were there for a couple hours, you know, what, 4 or 5 p.m. to 3 or 4 a.m., you know, 2 or 3 a.m., you know, 12 hours we got a surprising amount of things on film, mm-hmm. but n- it could never be anything close to something like, you know, 30, 40 years of silent, you know, wandering around by yourself. So I'm sure his, he has a unique uh, perspective to have experienced all of those, but I'm glad we got to experience what we did and in the way that we did, because I, I feel like Nelson and Kelly and the rest of the crew really brought a lot of integrity, respect, and almost like a responsibility of this is, we're not here to muck things up, to stir shit. It was, Kelly was saying she wanted to sing to the guys in some point, mm-hmm. like some and old 1940s. Did. Yeah, because it makes them, you know, might make their souls sing or something. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, things and like Nelson, that. And Nelson, the amount of equipment Nelson has is astonishing. And some of it he has even customized to make it, more reliable based on previous investigations. They're like, well, we noticed that, you know, it can kind of wobble. Um, so we, I added these things so it's more stable. So they really are looking at it as a way of, we have to disprove everything before we can even say, well, this is unexplained. And even then it's not like hundred percent proof of ghosts. It's just, we can't explain what this was. We've done other tests to see, you know, like, could it have been that, um, a car went by and the lights caused something to go off or, you know, I mean, they try and do their due diligence with all of that to say, well, we don't know what it was, but we can't say that it definitively was something. It could be yeah, unexplained. Gives you a lot of respect for a crew that does that and doesn't do it for the, we definitely saw a ghost here and either fake stuff or make a mountain out of a molehill. It's way more fun for me. I would rather go and not get anything or get just a little something rather than 
you know, making stuff up or getting too excited or whatever, because I know, I feel like we did a thorough job. We did it like mm-hmm. the Ghostbusters really would do it. And that's what <laughs> I want just as a childhood dream. So uh, now we just have to find where we're going to go next. Yeah, for sure. Yes. And we did it in the perfect way and the respectful way too. Like nobody mm-hmm. was yelling at ghosts or anything. Everybody was being super kind, asking questions as if, one thing that I thought was really interesting is Nelson was like, I don't speak to them as if they're dead or as if I'm, they're from the past, you know, I'm just like, what's your name? What's what rank were you and stuff, stuff that would be uh, answerable stuff that would be something that they could answer. It's not like it would be confusing to them. So that was really interesting too. And I thought we had a great team, so much great equipment where I felt like we really got to see like every type of different piece of equipment ghost hunters would use. We got to see like how that works. And that was super cool. Not just like EVP recordings, but a ton of the the laser stuff. The laser stuff was maybe my favorite part. Sinisterhood will be right back. Yeah, there's a pinpoint laser machine that it shoots a, a grid of pinpoints across an area that you point it towards. And it was pointed in the mess hall kitchen area when we were all in there. And there was movement on that that independently, Paris had the camera on it. And you say, because you weren't looking in the camera, so you saw it with your eyes. Paris saw it on the camera of movement in the light that none of us were touching. We were talking and asking questions for it to respond. And that seemed to that along with playing taps seemed to bring some sort of energy out, bring a little something out, but understanding that not, you know, not the mess hall, but the ship itself is technically a graveyard. I mean, it's also where people died. You know, George Conlon didn't get to be brought home and buried. That was that place. And then, you know, he's buried at sea for the, the 10 other men that, were killed there as well. So understanding it is hallowed, it is sacred, but it seems like it's got something it wants to tell us with that flashing green light. Maybe so. Well, you can go check it out. They're uh, open for tourist visits, tours, um, field trips, and all sorts of stuff. We'll link their website in our show notes so you can check it out. And if you're in the Wilmington area or make a special trip down there because it really is fascinating it's it's very cool and something that as a kid if i was like we're all going to this i'd be like oh okay but as an adult i really have a greater appreciation for these things so it's very cool in this line of work to be able to go back and see that kind of stuff that otherwise (laughs) i probably wouldn't do you're right as a kid i might have been like can i just like go to the top highest part and look off of it but Mm -hmm. now like you said reading diaries and seeing the real cost of war and the real cost of violence and at the end of it, how that may have, does it have, you know, everlasting impacts and these really are spirits or do we all just feel a little bit eerie knowing that we're standing on an extremely powerful war machine that was shooting extremely violent, huge guns. I mean, these guns are massive to think that it was able to take out seven to 14 planes in seven minutes is it's awe inspiring, not in a, Oh, that's so great way, but in the, Oh, holy shit, the cost of war, the cost Mm -hmm. of humanity and it's it's a feeling that it's an, an eerie loaded feeling to understand the full cost of war and especially as we approach veterans day absolutely and the the japanese ship that launched the torpedoes there were several that they launched and 
a couple of the others hit other nearby ships too. So there were multiple casualties and one of the ships was hit so bad that the captain determined that it would just have to be sunk, that you have to abandon and, and it's sunk. But to, I, it was very eerie and haunting for me to think about you're on this ship and you know that this torpedo is approaching. You can see it on the radar and everyone is just manning their battle stations to brace for this impact. And the fear of what that looks like and whether you're there because you want to be or there because you have to be the fear, fear is fear. And it is like you said, it's, awe-inspiring, not in a way where I'm like, what a cool thing isn't, you know, it's, I w- wouldn't, wouldn't it be wonderful if none of us had to do this? And when yeah. I was working on the outline, Ella came in and was like, what is the episode about? And I was explaining to her and I was r- telling her about the part I was writing. And she said, did the torpedo, was it supposed to hit the ship? Is that what they meant for it to do? Mm. And I said, yeah. And she was like, why did they want to do that? And to hear a five and a half year old like ask these questions is heartbreaking because, I mean, we know the answer why, but you don't want to <laughs> shatter their yeah. worldview of, of, in innocence. So you try and answer it as honest, but it also is like, Uh, appropriate as you can and i just said well there was a war going on between these uh, these countries and unfortunately during war people people do things like this and Mm -hmm. she was like well were we on were we on america's side and i was like well we weren't alive back then she's like i know but were we still on their side and I was like, we're getting into some conversations. You're like, oh, <laughs> you're not ready to hear about the military industrial complex. Yeah, kid. I was like, I just was like, hey, you want to watch this ghost video? Uh, Paris made <laughs> where we're walking yeah, around I mean, the it, ship. You're right because you can't explain to her, hey, there's Nazis. This is what this is mm-hmm. why this war started. A man named Hitler hated this group of people because that, as the innocence of a child, is only going to ask why. Why would you hate that group right. of people? They were just living their lives and that's the hard part about talking about stuff like this is that they don't, she's a little kid, man. She oh yeah. You know? and, and it's in the, in the innocence with which it's asked of, and the, I don't want to call it naivety because yeah. uh, it's just innocence. In a good way but, though. <laughs> but yeah. And it, but it, what, one of the biggest blessings of having children for me has been when they do ask these questions that, force you to kind of reframe how you think about things and answer it because we're all jaded adults who have just, you know, grown up and learned things and been taught things that we didn't question, or maybe now we are questioning. So to see it asked from such a place of honesty and sincere innocence, it makes you realize like, I, I don't, know if I even have the answer to this and the answer that I might come up with isn't a good one because at the end of the day, people were fighting to kill each other. 
Yeah. I mean, that that's what they were doing. They they hit the yes, they sent a torpedo to hit this ship because they wanted to kill these people. Yes, they were shooting the guns into the sky at these planes because they wanted to kill these people. I mean, there's no nice way to say that. And I don't think there should be because it's war. It's not nice and it shouldn't be sugarcoated. No, I, that that's a perfect way to put it too. And I don't have a kid, but I imagine having one and understanding they look up to you of like, you're right? the ultimate answer. And not even like, I, cause you know, we have every, each and every one of us has unlimited knowledge and wisdom in the palm of our hand. You ask, literally ask the robot and they can tell you some facts, but the perspective that's so vital that we cultivate for ourselves comes only through work that we do when we don't even realize we, we haven't done it. Cause we didn't, we are privileged to think we didn't have to do it. And now, you know, it's to say, Oh, kiddo, boy, how do you break down the complexities of any kind of a war? Because at the root, that that is what it is all very complex. But I will say, you know, the innocence of her is we all do have that in our gut still of like, but but why, though? Couldn't we just be peaceful? Yeah. Yeah. And more shouting and everything rhetoric comes on top of that. But at the end of the day, pursue peaceful ends through peaceful means is what Martin Luther King said. And you got to tell her. That maybe you kiddo, you're five, but when you're older, maybe the world will be a better place with a heart mm-hmm. like that in charge. Mm-hmm. That is the ultimate goal, I think, for for all that um, things will be better for the younger generations than they have been for us, and that that continues on and continues on. So. One way to do that is take kids to stuff like this and teach them about history and, uh, and encourage them to ask those questions and, you know, challenge yourself to not just reply with an answer you may have been taught since you were a little kid yourself, you know, but really think about like, gosh, that's a, that's a great question. And it's okay to say like, I don't know, let's look this up together. When you said like, we can look anything up, but at the end of the day, a parent to their child, like their opinion carries mm-hmm. more weight than anything they could hear on TV or, or see on or listen to or something. So it is a responsibility to act with grace and kindness and teach that to our children and uh, not just knee-jerk diarrhea of the mouth rhetoric that perhaps is no longer really how you feel, but it's Mm -hmm. just something that's been ingrained in you. Challenge kids challenge you. And it's a wonderful challenge to accept. No, that's a good way to put it of challenging ourselves on what my therapist used to say. It's our first thoughts, not our problem. That's our programming. But what you do, that's a perfect way to say what I've been trying to say. But that's the, but well, I'm quoting another great person, but she says, you know, it's your, your programming, your second thought is what you get to, you get a chance to really dig in and say, and if your first thoughts, I don't know, it's up to you not to sit on that and go, well, I just don't know. You say, I don't know, but let's find out and we Mm -hmm. can find out together and talk about it together. And a fine point on it all is uh, from our junior researcher, Ella herself, who said, just believe and be kind. Believe Believe people's first party stories like we heard these soldiers and be kind. Uh Well, you can also believe and be kind by touring the ship yourself and also going to our YouTube to watch our video and leave us a comment. What do you think we captured something? What do you, what do you think happened? What do you think was, uh, as I opened the door to have, I repeatedly offered the, 
ghost to touch you. And for that, <laughs> I'm sorry, but the audio is on the video. Go to youtube.com. <laughs> you know that your best we'll friends, when there's been no conversation ahead of time, like, are you cool if I tell the ghost to like goose you? And then afterwards, I'm like, oh, yeah, that, w- that was totally cool. But, like, you knew I would have been fine with it. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. Oh, yeah. And as a, a clarifying point, because we did have people ask me, well, ask us or social media posts or stuff asking what a varmint was. It is mm. a rodent-like animal. And uh, to that same thing, uh, goosing is to pinch someone on the butt or the oh, hip or yes. this thing. Just I- in case that my country goosing, you know, we, I realize we do have <laughs> listeners from all over the world and from different places. So this might be your uh, your country lesson, but, you know, you go give a little goose. If you're, yeah. I'm washing my hands at the sink and the ghost, you know, pinches my, my tushy. That's just getting, goosing. He was goosing. What's Heather trying to get the ghost to give Christy a Christmas goose? What What is this <laughs> bizarre American tradition. It's like, we no, got a lot it's just, of it's grabbing them. It's giving them a little honk on their boot. Yeah. We're like, no, our Christmas goose, we shove it inside of a turkey and we shove the turkey inside of something else and then we deep fry it. No, that's the different. And then we kind call it goose. a turducken and it's a whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what's wrong. But uh, no, I would go visit it. If you're in Wilmington or near Wilmington, definitely. Definitely check it out and definitely check out the Ghost Guild on Instagram at the Ghost Guild NC. And thanks to Nelson, Kelly, and the whole crew for having us. Let us know also in the in the comments or on Instagram or wherever you interact with us where you want to see us go on a, a overnight yes. ghost hunt next because we want to do another paranormal investigation. We have a couple in mind that are good ones, and I think we'll get a lot of suggestions for those. But if there's Kind of like a more deep cut place. I'm all for that too. Yeah, let us know. I mean, are we going to sleep over at the house with the horny ghosts in Gainesville or wherever it is around here that we talked about in our moment show last year? That too. Yeah, I want to go there so bad. <laughs> yeah, I want, with the big fucking mine shaft in the living room. Absolutely. <laughs> are we? Are, it's like a two hour drive. We have to. We got to call it. It has the plexiglass up. over it. Yes. You can just see down into what looks like the portal to hell. Yeah. If y'all haven't seen it, you can still watch our moment show on Patreon. Uh, if you join the, the $5 tier, it's like. <laughs> It's our show from last year, but there's an extended part in the middle about some very sexy ghosts that I would like to meet in person, in spirit, I guess. We got to do it. We got to do it. And yes, to echo Heather's sentiments, thank you so much, Nelson, Kelly, the rest of the Ghost Guild. You are all so much fun and just have so much integrity. And we can't wait to do more investigations with you. Ooh, we'll see you in the dark. If you like our free episodes, you'll love our Patreon bonus content. You can join for free to see what we're up to next. We'll send out messages saying, hey, we got this going on. Occasionally we'll post uh, stuff that you get to watch, even if you're not paying. You're just a free member. And one of those things you need, you would have gotten an alert if you were already signed up, is that our bonus content this week, we do weekly bonus content on the show, something different this week. We're going to do a live stream Thursday at at 8 p.m. Central, where we are going to talk about the investigation. We'll answer your questions. The YouTube video, I mean, we were on the ship for like 12 hours, and it's like 10, 15, not even 15 minutes. It's like 10 or 12 minutes. So we'll have some behind-the-scenes stuff we can share with you, some pics from our phone, and just answer whatever you want to talk about on what's it like to stay on a spooky ghost ship overnight. So join us on Patreon. Uh, You can sign up at the $5 tier and above to get on that Thursday, November 9th at 8 p.m. Central. We've also recently posted a true crime headlines where we discuss the most recent 
movement in the Natalie Holloway case. We have a Judge Christie that's up. We've posted like three new bonus <laughs> segments in the past week. We have a, a mini-sode that is up that's a harrowing tale involving this woman that escaped a serial killer. There's a bunch of really interesting things on there. Yeah, and a the great skeleton heist of Dallas, Texas of 2023. <gasps> yeah. So on a, on one of my random things. That's the biggest mystery of all that we're trying we to solve. Bring right Hugh now. Jazz home. <laughs> <laughs> well, and for all of our recent patrons, thank you so much for supporting the show and make sure you stick around after our sign-offs to hear your shout out. You can head to sinisterhood.com and click shop on the top banner to check out Sinisterhood merch like t-shirts, mugs, totes, stickers, and even clothes for your kiddo. For a limited time, we have got some sales and deals going on on our TikTok shop since it's new. I don't, we don't really do those sales. TikTok does them. So go on there and get you a deal. I'm not really sure how it works, but you can either go to sinisterhood.com slash shop and shop on there or head over to our TikTok. Uh, it's the same merch. It's just TikTok's doing its own thing over there. We also have a brand new merch design that is in our Patreon exclusive store. Uh, we posted about it on social media, but it is a very dope design by a wonderful artist named Mariana yellowish pencil on Instagram and uh, we'll make sure to tag her. We already did tag her, but it's a very cool logo uh, available to our patrons. So head over and, uh, and get you one of those. It's so cute. I love it so much. We got it. We got to get some for us. too. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'm going to order us some. Yeah, for sure. Well, at sinisterhood.com, you can also review the show, follow us on socials, check out the episode descriptions. And we also have topic-based playlists, links to live show tickets, Anything you need to know about us can be found there in one way or the other. And if it's not on there, you can follow us on Instagram, X, and threads at Sinisterhood Pod. You can like us on Facebook at Sinisterhood. And you can watch our video version of this as well as a bunch of other videos we put up on our YouTube channel at Sinisterhood Podcast. We're also on TikTok and Cameo. Holiday season's around the corner. If you have somebody who's like, do not give me anything physical and material. I don't need any more clothes. I don't need any more items. Well, what can you get them for someone so picky and so wonderful in your life? A cameo from us. It's a custom video shout out where Christy and I will say, hey, what's up? And pass on whatever message you want us to pass on. Sometimes uh, wear costumes. Puppets can be involved. It just depends on how much information our you give us. Our pets are often there. Our, our pets are there. Uh, Ella was sitting next to us on the couch for one. We're like, there's yeah. a kid next to us. <laughs> so uh, whatever you want us to do, just tell us to do it in the cameo.com. Search Sinisterhood for a really good easy breezy holiday gift because really we do all the work all you have to do is forward a video to someone but you will look like an iconic gift giver for sure so. absolutely <laughs> cameo.com search sinisterhood where are you at online i am on instagram at christy m wallace and tiktok at christy or gtfo heather i'm online at heather versus the world as always the devil rules the airwaves keep it creepy Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for supporting the show. Here are your special Patreon shoutouts. Jillian Lee. Sage. Brittany. Candace Drix. Leslie Krause. Rebecca Ralston. Alicia J. Natalie Howard. Patty. Lori. Audrey Erickson. And Brittany R. Thank you so much for supporting the show. We could not do this without you. We love each and every one of you. We hope you pronounce your names correctly. Stay safe, stay healthy, and keep it creepy. Mwahaha. <laughs>